everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers who sit around, drink coffee or wine, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your fun committee today is John Schmidt, David Welsh, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 141, interview with Adrian Grady. Welcome, Adrian. Hi, thank you. Lovely to be here. Um, may I know your pronouns for the purposes of the podcast? Um, I'm actually good with just about anything. If if it's respectfully delivered, to make it simple, you could say she. That's usually the first thing that pops in people's heads. And today I'm okay with that. So Fantastic. she is great. If you say they that, or Tay, that also works. And if you feel that I'm a sexy man, you can call me he. <laughs> well, that seems fair. <laughs> now, don't call you late for dinner. <laughs> Our fun connection here is that you sang in a band that Dave played in. So you have a history as a sultry songstress, which is how John and I have first seen you on stage. But it was so neat to go to your website, adriangrady.com, and discover how many more neat things you do. Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff scattered everywhere, um, in part because I had to rebuild, as you know, you know, that process of rebuilding resumes per who you're going to apply for. And in, in entertainment and construction work, it's always something different. So... Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I would start with the first area where you talked about that you do creative consulting for scripts, stories, games, social media, online, etc. Yeah. That is a fairly wide picture. So <laughs> <laughs> one could say creative consulting for scripts is different than stories, which is different from games. But are yeah. there any common pitfalls that you see across anybody who brings you in to say, can you look at my script? Can you look at my story? Can you look at my games? Well, the first thing I, I do is I say, okay, what would you like me to check for? Are you are you looking for someone to make the the flow of something feel better, or the characters feel more realistic? Is it dialogue? Is it you just want me to correct your spelling, you know, or to to give you an idea, a plot idea, or to fix a plot hole? So it just sort of depends. If they're just saying, well, just look through it and tell me what you think, then I'll say okay, and I'll just look through it, make a bunch of notes, and that process pretty much applies to anything from songwriting to scripts for me anyway. Has that ever led them astray of when you started to say, well, I don't see where you never really used the rifle here that you put in scene one. So when are mm -hmm. you going to shoot Dave, for instance, yes. in this beautiful plot or and then have they ever looked at you and like, I, I just wanted you to find my typos, man. No, I mean, I would say maybe years in the past that might have come up, but but that's why I asked those questions first. So, yeah. Do you ever do you ever run into um, the issue of um, having to tell somebody that mm, this just really isn't good? You should start over. I've never put it. Yeah, I've never put it that up way. And then, oh yeah, I've I've never put it that way because what I do is I I will ask them questions about what what aspect of the story is the most important to them what's their i will ask them in ways that almost let them fan to me about what they like why they're doing the project so if i read it through and i go oh my gosh i do not like this personally i don't like it maybe someone else will but i don't it's just there's so many not great things about it and what i'll do is instead i will try to refocus on what did the person really like about their story or what inspired them to do it because then I can go to the core of that and say okay so you've got this scene here but there's this really cool thing about the character that you told me you like what if they do it there and then that could motivate them over here for this thing to happen that you really want to have happen 
and can usually find a solution doing it that way. It's really rare where I like, I can't think of the last time where I looked at something and said it, it has zero potential, you know? Well, that's good. I mean, that was kind of the core of my question, I guess. <laughs> you should hear, hear, hear this is for piano lessons or whatever. So. And you were in actually a favorite movie of many people I know, Knights of Bad Aston, which if you all haven't gone out and seen it, you simply must. Tell us, is Peter Dinklage as wonderful as I want him to be? Yeah, he is. He's he he's a sweetheart. He's fun and very respectful. What my experience working with him was at the time Game of Thrones hadn't started yet. So that probably helped me jump into being able to work with him a little faster, where I do see actors, whether they're famous or not, as just regular people. But when you know you've seen someone so many times but they've never seen you once. There's something surreal about that. And it can cause a little bit of anxiety at first or excitement. And sometimes that can make things a little awkward. So I try to be very careful about how I come across if it's someone I know. Well, with Peter Dinklage, I didn't know him when I first met with him. I did know some of the other actors, but I didn't know him. So both him and his stuntman, and his stuntman's still good friends of mine, great people just really good guys. And I really had a good time and felt very comfortable working with them. Well, I was about to go see Cyrano. So I just needed another point of view of, I am already a little bit in love and I was ready to go fall in love again. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's awesome. And, and I love everything he, he works on. I mean, so far the things I've seen, he's, he's done great. There's a, actually a funny thing because when we were on our last day of wrap-up of Knights of Bad Astum, that was his first day of doing a screen test for Game of Thrones. So he came back to the set with a completely different hair color where we had been working with him with brown hair the whole time uh, for like eight weeks and a plus. And then he comes back to set the last day with the blonde hair and that they didn't end up going that blonde, but initially it was really blonde. And the crew members were laughing about it when he came to visit us on the last day of shooting. It would mean the world to me if he actually sang, because I'm a blonde. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. But <laughs> opportunity. You've also done, according on your website, a lot of multimedia development and applications. And here's where you talk about graphics, art, set design, photo editing, logos. It sounds like basically somebody could come to you and say, I need to develop like a platform for my art or my writing or something. Where would you recommend that they start creating that whole big image of what does it mean to be Adrian Grady? What does it mean to be the platform of who you are and how you market yourself? Well, yeah, it depends on how how they want to be perceived or how they want their work to be perceived, because those are two different things. So I would I would check to see what type of platforms they're comfortable with. Like, do they do they work on social media a lot or would they like to or do they want to have someone handle that for them? Because that can change the way you market things where it can have more of a personal feel than you know, how much do they want to go on video or on or have photos taken of them? How much of their work? in progress, do they want to share? Or do they only want to just have a store, you know, with a little bio about themselves? So I'd always check first to see what they're looking for. And with multimedia, that can lead to what was called transmedia. I don't know if it's still called that, but where you could have, say, for example, a audio play that's also interactive, where your audience has a little bit of a say as to how your next episode might go or some little side project you're doing with that production. The audio play might also be a puppet show, could also be a TV show and a comic at the same time. 
so multimedia, transmedia, things like that, where they, it's not just simply what, plat, how many platforms they're on, but also how they're interacted with. And so I try to find out what's the person looking for. So if it's just art, you know, what do they need? And, and I take it from there. There's so many, it's such a big tree that just branches out forever to go into all the details. <laughs> but I usually start at that point with somebody. That makes perfect sense. So if somebody, I mean, the easiest one to think of, we talk to a lot of writers, they're also thinking there's writing, but also maybe they want an audio book. And a couple of times we've had people that have talked about, yes, and I also have had my work turned into a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. That That's kind of that sort of thing, isn't it really? Taking yeah. And, and some people, they don't really know where to start with what media to use. If, for example, they haven't even written the thing yet. So it sort of depends if they've written something what is ideally where do they want to go with it do they want it eventually to be a movie or a tv show or do they just they just want the the, the story to be out there and purchasable like on amazon or something i just sort of find all that out because that'll determine how many accounts i create for them and have to manage or help them manage it'll determine how many artists editors you know, including video editors uh, all the people that would need to be involved are they going to be doing a blog or do they need someone to do blogging and promotion for them? Do they know anything about ads on Facebook? Have they had any experience with that or other types of advertising and what preferences they have? And I've, I've done a lot of that from the indie side more than I've done it for big companies, but it's, it's all the same stuff. Well, there's, I think there's been a lot rise of, we've talked to a lot of independent publishers rising and independent musicians. Like you have an, an album out, don't you, Arctine? Yeah, Arctine is the, the latest album by my band, Invocation Array. Yeah, and we primarily prefer to direct people to Bandcamp because Bandcamp has been the kindest to us and the most ethical of sources for selling. And uh, they do a good job with promotion. They have the uh, their communities and their communities are, are really, really good places to go and find music you might like or get recommendations. And you can also reach your fan base pretty easy through it. Uh, pretty easily. So, so we like Bandcamp for that. We have used Spotify and a lot of others, you know, Apple Music and other things. But so, so dish on, dish on so Spotify, much. what's what's going on there? Yeah, we got to know. You, you said the word. So Spotify, tell yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like every company, there's ethic problems. <laughs> every, there's yeah. no great streaming company. They all right. completely underpay everybody. And it, it hurts the indie artists the most. In part because indie artists are already being used as muses, you know, and not being paid to be those muses. Big stars have oftentimes copied and, and been inspired by indie artists, and then they indie artists don't get a cutback. So, so, so I imagine it's pretty um, hard to sue somebody or sue a big artist if you if yeah. they basically outright steal your idea. Even yeah. even if they do that, then well, your recourse even, is limited. It's yeah. even just in like usage. Some you want to somebody wants to use your song. Wasn't there something that just went by with the Olympics of an ice skater skated to a piece of music that the artist said, "Wait a second, I did not give any consent for my music to be used by an ice skater in the Olympics." So. Well, that all yeah, that depends on the backside. Like, are they with ASCAP? I mean, who? It depends on who they're registered with. Are they getting a cut for when their music is played at that venue? Because some things. Are kind of out of your control as a musician right. where you might not have a say until after you found out someone used something and the only say you might have at that point is 
just letting the public know that you are against it. So it's, it's, that's a legal ground that just varies per situation. It really depends on who they're signed with, where they're distributing through and, or have their, their, their rights listed or their preferences and things like I, there's so many things about the music industry that I have not yet touched, but I, I know a bit about (laughs) like if someone wants to license our music, that's, that's not hard to do. If, uh, someone goes and uses one of our songs to go do a dance recital for I'm not gonna be like oh you gotta pay me because you played it I'm not that picky um but if someone's making money off of our music by using it for some video then yeah I would say you should be paying me in general that's what YouTube will help track and uh ASCAP we're with ASCAP so they'll also track that um so we don't have to just you know be looking out for it one by one which would be tedious so tell oh. us about, you also finished a new book, which I thought was pretty excited because you brought up something called Sex Punk Chronicles. What is <laughs> Sex Punk? The Dragon and the Thief, book one. Clearly there's going to be more. I know steampunk. We know hope punk. Tell us about Sex Punk. <laughs> so Sex Punk isn't really a genre. The solar punk is, um, and it's more solar punk, but um, those are two things I'll go into because um, there are some connections to steampunk and cyberpunk with it. So uh, sex punk was chosen because um, uh, it's not it's not a new word. There's a number of books and projects that have and even individuals that have used that. Our version represents sex, not just regarding intercourse, but also the representation of the variety of humans we have on our world. So this book takes place on a completely different world. But the goal is to feature everything from sexual builds to preferences to kinks to touching things that are taboo like why are they taboo exploring that kind of thing and normalizing essentially normalizing diversity and everything from like i said you know preferences and sexualities to skin shades and dreams that might be considered taboo or you know a threat to our current government so Sex punk encompasses a lot of that and tries to normalize and explore the the potential that we have. So is that the main theme? I, I read the book and I, I mean, there are, it, it is in some ways um, a fairly straightforward fantasy novel, but yeah. is that the main theme that you want to explore with this series or what, what are I mean, you? Ultimately, this started as sort of a scratching the itch of making a couple characters that we were already familiar with that we had created for role play games uh-huh. into into a story so there was a bit of mischief and and yeah straightforward fantasy the other stuff came into it because i wanted a lot of it to have more meaning and i didn't want it to be just like another stereotypical romance novel where certain issues were not addressed like mm-hmm protection, safe words, you know, non, non-binary characters. Like how often do you see these things right. in typical romance novels? And so right. my co-author really liked that idea too, of not doing something that was just a fantasy that has sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, doing I, more with that. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I did want, I was going to ask you about that. It's the one, one thing I like noted must talk about. I was delighted to see the, the, you know, safe sexual conduct modeled even in a, a fantasy where the participants got to not to 
like throw any spoilers in here, maybe minor spoilers, the, 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 the characters could be very unsafe indeed in, in a lot of, in almost every sense of the word, if they wanted to be right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, it was, it was so cool to see, you know, like the modeling, you know, the safe word and the um, yeah. asking. I would, I would say it's, it's, a, it's less of a theme and more of a goal, uh, a passion to, to want to, to go in those ethical and, and progressive directions with this series. So in a way, using the word sex punk kind of holds us to that. Right. It's a it's a way of like you know emphasizing that responsibility we have that we we put on ourselves. Right. It's like if you're going to say sex punk, well now you got to kind of own up. So right. it's, it it was that push that we we gave to ourselves right. to Argu- hold on to that goal. Arguably, in fantasy, you have less of a um, less of an obligation to to do that because hey, you know, you can throw up your hands at the end of the day and say, hey, it's just fantasy. You shouldn't take this seriously. I mean, if you yeah. were writing a, a, a conventional novel, then of course the characters should be having safe sex. You got to model that. But. So we should tell people to go buy this. How do you want them to buy your book? What well, source? as much as I'm not a fan of Amazon and the kickbacks it gives authors, as, an, as indie publishers currently, that's all we can afford. Though I am looking at an, another couple of companies that have worked well for other artist friends of mine. And I'm going to see if one of those might be an addition that we can look at. Like where I have with my band, we have Bandcamp. And then there's other places you can go to buy or listen to the music. We send them to Bandcamp. Well, with the book, same thing. I might say, okay, well, we are on Amazon, but I'd prefer you to go to this yeah. company over here. Yeah. So for now, Amazon and Kindle is the best slash only way to get it, unless you want a signed copy and then you can ping me privately and I could, it'll take a while because Amazon's really slow when an author wants a book, but they're really fast to ship it if it's just somebody who wants it direct. So I, it takes about three weeks to get a book from Amazon as the author at my price from them. And then I can sign it and then I can ship that out and go through the packaging and the shipping and driving it down to the post office and waiting in line and that whole process. You do so many different creative pieces. I mean, you, you do multimedia video, you all do all these things for the stage or theater or whatever. How has really COVID affected people who are trying to be a creative side gig person? What, what have you had to do? What are your compensations? To get grim, homelessness was basically what a, a number of friends of mine uh, went through and are still going through and trying to fight against being stuck in. And that would have been my fate had my partner not been able to retain his full-time job because I lost all of my work. All The entertainment stuff shut down. The burn lift driving was unsafe. The companies I was driving for were not taking care of their drivers. So everything shut down and then EDD with unemployment decided that they were not going to hire enough people nor people to fix their websites. And for a full year, I had no income because of all of that hitting at the same time and no unemployment either. So only recently I've started to bring my savings back up. And the only thing I could do during that time and up to now has been just to keep probing to see who's starting to do productions again and see is Uber and Lyft it's a little safer to drive for where I could do that on the side. And no, I think that's, I wanted to, you to say that out loud because I wanted people to think about when they say, well, how did this affect different people? How did COVID? Everybody who's been through the past two years realizes or should have realized by now how important reading 
and watching shows and listening to music is when we are isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. And the people that are doing that creating, the people that are writing that music and getting it out there and making TikTok videos, making all those pieces, they need to eat. And right. <laughs> yeah. let's talk about the importance of the art. So yeah. the next time you, you are dealing with a frontline worker or you catch a ride, I want everybody out there to be super, super nice because you never know if they're an author, a writer, a musician, a talented person in theater or movies, or somebody who's just trying to get all their gigs together in a creative field to not have to get a soul killing nine to five job. Right. The closer yeah. they are to LA, the more likely it is that they are. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a couple of people I know who are significant in the industry and they both had to completely redo their entire businesses and they're, they're both very, very scared right now because of how much work they lost and having to redesign everything just to try to survive. And I don't know how long it's going to last for. It's just, it's so, woo, yeah. And even as work comes back, the, the people who had work before are sometimes forgotten or had to move on to something else to survive. And now that the opening is back, they can't take it. So then they have to struggle in something that might pay less or might be like unrelated to all of their investments in their career that they had made. So yeah, for, for a lot of people, it, it's really scary and, and it's, it can be lonely and be very frustrating because you're not being seen as the, the, the talent that you are and which that of course leads to people not hiring you because when they don't see you working, they don't think you can work. If that makes sense, you know, <laughs> absolutely. We, everybody who's ever had to say, explain this gap in your resume. Like it, I couldn't get a job doing exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, here, here I am, you know, at a, a frozen yogurt shop about to get robbed by two motorcyclists when, and all I want to do is be back on set, having my, my butt whipped, you know, but making a production. And instead I am getting robbed at a frozen yogurt shop because I need the money. And thankfully I was not, wasn't my money. They stole it was the company's, but you know. Oh, good. Yeah. Jenny, you should, you should share stories with her. We oh, should. Gosh. I got, I got held up at a Kinko's at gunpoint. Oh my God. Oh no. And a That's horrible. Oh no. Everybody thinks, well, what if they only have 50 bucks in the register? It frightens me that there are people that are so desperate and on the edge that they need that $50. And I'm very oh, yeah. sorry. Whoever yeah. you were, this was back in the late 80s in Colorado when you went into that Kinko's and tried to rob somebody and that girl laughed at you. I'm, I'm kind of sorry, but not really sorry, but a little sorry. <laughs> I hope your life came out better. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've had some pretty uh, <clears throat> unusual and incredibly scary encounters in my life. So what is your, when your process, you, you mentioned that you collaborated on this book with somebody. What is the process of collaboration like? Is it alternating? Can I, can I stop you right there for a second? Sure. I, we're, we're talking to you, but I have to ask about your co-author. Who is John Wick? Because you cannot look him up on the internet. When you type in John Wick writer, it returns Derek Kolstad, who wrote the John Wick movies for yeah. Keanu Reeves. And yeah. there is nothing about. It's, um, uh, so, so John Wick, the, my co-author, I think it's actually his cousin who wrote the script for the John Wick movie. Wick is their, their family name on that side anyway. And it's the grandfather of the cousin. I forgot uh, who has the same name as my co-author. So if I'm remembering correctly, 
that's that's the the family connection. So my author is actually related to the movie project. Really? And so it was so <laughs> um, the character was named after him or one of his yeah. <laughs> relatives? Yeah. And and if you look up John Wick Seventh C or John Wick Houses of the Blooded or John Wick Legend of the Five Rings, just for just a few examples, those are games that he created and or developed like uh, seven okay. seven c was his baby but i, I played he, all of those <laughs> but, uh, and then houses of the blood i think was also his from scratch but of the legend of the five rings was one he just he worked on i don't believe mm -hmm. that was his from scratch but of course okay. he's not here so i could say anything until he finds <laughs> out later and then i'm well, gonna be punished we'll, <laughs> we'll interview him on another episode so he can get a rebuttal so go ahead yeah but yeah anyway so th those things will, will bring you to the right john wick <laughs> right. I, Sorry, is it I, okay if i still imagine you sitting in a coffee shop with you and keanu reeves bent over a notebook and you're writing together murmuring softly Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As okay, because that, that's like, working for me right now. Yeah, yeah, as we laugh about sex punk and what that means. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. yes. Well, I'm not usually the one to do this, but sorry for the aside. Let's get back on track. Um, <laughs> collaborating was the question. So, yeah, collaborating. All right. This is different depending on the partner I'm with. So, and same for, for my co-author, John. He also has worked differently than with people with like me. Ours started off as a freestyle role play. So on chat, so we went to Discord and we picked a couple characters that we were comfortable doing. The character I chose was the main character actually of our book, who I have been role-playing as and LARPing as for a total of like 25 years-ish. So I knew her really well, but what I wanted to get to, I wanted to still get to know her better. And it's always fun to play with her because she seems like a grumpy person. So it's funny to, to you know, yeah, she uh, she's she's fun to mess with. And then he played the thief. Um, and then what we we realized, we just we had a lot of words. We had like 50,000 plus words that we had written pretty fast. I'd always wanted to write a book with my character. John said, oh, so we've got this many words. How do you feel about me editing it out and editing it and tossing it out into the landscape of possibly hungry readers. And I said, that sounds great. And at first, so I didn't think I was going to be doing any editing. And I just thought he was going to sort of do a quick little short story with what we wrote. And then it just turned into something else because as we started going over it, we realized how much more we wanted to flesh out and how much more we wanted to do to our characters. We started writing down some ideas of other things we'd like to have happen, uh, fun ways that they could meet initially the how we wanted to, to end the book and then we just we would take turns writing he would write a little I would write a little we'd check each other change stuff that the other person wrote to improve it or to add you know add to it or correct something and we did this using Google Docs so the one thing we discovered with Google Docs is that you can only have so many comments so we got to a point where we had so many comments on stuff it was just a lit up super long document that Google just said, okay, cool story, bro, but like I can't hold any more comments. So we had to then migrate to a, a, a second doc, uh, which forced us to edit a bit more, migrate over, and then start with new comments and try to get rid of old comments we had left behind. So it was a lot of cleanup as we were learning about ourselves and how we work together. After a while, we had both this outline of chapter numbers and little notes per chapter number 
on the same dock of what we needed to still add to it or come back to. And then we had big chunks of text that needed to look a little nicer that were a mix of dialogue and description. And as he and I each had time alone, we would go into the dock and leave comments for the other person for later for when we met up on Zoom to add and write together and go over things. So that's how our process has been. Going into book two, it's been a little harder because I had to reference so many notes and all of book one to remember what we did or didn't do that was on the list and then uh. figure out what do we want to go focus on going forward. I went and wrote some scenes down and then he went in and adjusted those and added some extra scenes and we started building up our chapters that way. And then we went back to our outline, reviewed it, realized we need to change the entire outline and back and forth. So it's, it's taking a while, but that's our process. I hope I'm describing, I've never described it out loud before. So I hope I did. Okay. It's completely different from what I do with my bandmate, which is, I think feels more efficient, <laughs> but when my bandmate, she'll send me a piece of music and then I will send her back a vocal and or instrumental adjustment to it. And then we go back and forth <clears throat> remotely until we get something that sounds like something we want to record for an album. And then I go to her place and we do the recording there together in person where we can adjust things on the fly, like adjust lyrics that just suddenly aren't working, play with the vocals more. So that's the process she and I usually do. It's less often that I start first by sending her an instrumental, but I will st send her vocal concepts, like me just humming something. It sounds really horrible. Like I'm just in the shower going, <laughs> and I send it to her and she goes, oh, okay, I know what to do with this. And she makes an instrumental, sends that back and we build. And sometimes lyrics pop in my head first and sometimes they pop in after I've thought of a vocal concept. But, uh, but yeah, the processes are, are quite different. So it just depends on who I'm working with. Well, it's, it sounds like they have some similarities, but I mean, it, it, I think that working with words is kind of inherently less efficient, you know, one, because you're trying to come out with a longer product and, and the music, it kind of either takes shape right away or it doesn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes you really have to work for it. I'm just like with writing a book. Yeah. I like it. And that makes perfect sense. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to grow up and be you? Oof. <laughs> I mean, literally saying the, I have so much interest in theater and film and writing and music. And I want to, I want to do everything. So what you recommend though. So the biggest lessons I've learned was actually about protecting myself because the things that I lost and like the time I lost the resources, everything that I've ever lost came from abusers and it also came from credit not being given. So some of that falls under the category abusers because there's thieves and there are people who coerce you into doing things. And, and then there's people who want you to stay quiet about what you've seen and heard. So I would say those three things be aware of because you will be on cloud nine so much for so much of your creative life. And then also feel that anxiety grind of needing to learn something suddenly because you have to get something done related to your art and you don't have the money to, to pay someone else to do it for you. So you're going to experiencing those, those highs and, and lows, the lows you don't want to experience come from abuse and lack of getting proper credit. And you need credit and energy resources, mental and physical in order to further your career. 
So, and your dreams. And I would just say this, whenever you do anything at all, any idea, even if it's just a casual something or another, document the date and time. If you can record it, awesome. If you can write it on your phone and email it to yourself, mail it to yourself, do it. It could be something as small as one sentence, do it. Uh, hum, hum an idea if it's musical. Name someone that you want to cast for you know some mu- movie you do in the future. Any idea you have, document it because you never know where it's going to pop up. I've seen my ideas pop up in big movies because I told somebody an idea I had and I didn't make money when they went and used it. So, and it was something I just threw off the top of my head and didn't think about it. Just be aware every idea you have is yours and you have every right to claim credit, to save yourself, to make a better industry going forward for other people. And, and then when you see abuse, record it. If you're not comfortable talking about it, record everything like a diary, save emails, any witnesses, write names down because things will get stressful and it'll be harder to pull that stuff out later on when you need it, if you need it, hopefully you don't. So those are the biggest things. I know a lot of people say, study this or do that. I I think I could go on and on about my inspirations or suggest, make suggestions about where to go, who to talk to and what to do. I'm happy to, but I'm saying the things that stop me from being awesome in my career and still hinder me today, 40 years into my life, definitely credit yourself, take credit, thrive in your, in that credit, (laughs) document everything and fear, try to fear nothing that, you know, you can't control, but make sure you've got safe people around you. So when there is something that is going to harm you, you are better protected. So it doesn't hurt to research law, basic law, copyright law. Contract law sounds useful. Yeah. So I I come from that angle of, I think artists can do a whole lot and it's, they're all going to be fighting themselves in some way. And the one fight you don't want is the one you don't deserve. And that's from other people. So I just say, reduce the chances of someone else ruining something for you by being unfair, unsafe around you whatever you can do. And I'm, and I'm definitely a resource for anybody who is ever in that situation. I have your back uh, and I can always help you to make a plan going forward if something happens. Cause unfortunately our world kind of stinks and things happen still. So good to be prepared and to have allies. It really does. And so sounds like the more you learn, the more, you know, the more you can talk to people, learn about the industries as you go into them sounds pretty key advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been fantastic. Really appreciate it. We'll put links to your website and the other stories we mentioned on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love email. Reach out to us. If if you have a question for Adrienne, we will forward it on. Thank you so much again. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg at manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Foreveral Jacket Designs, and whatever coffee shop you love. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>